the remaining 11 chapters are all about the humans, the individual, the mom who died leaving behind orphans, the orphans who lost their parents and were swept up in human trafficking, the, uh, the wife who was locked in lockdown with her abusive husband and mm. pushed down the stairs and had a broken ankle. Uh, you know, the real human the stories, stories, the real the cost, yeah. the real cost of the pandemic, uh, yes. where which is easy to forget. Yes. And uh, and you, as an ER physician, would have seen these stories. So yes. you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I saw it at a primary care perspective. You, you saw it uh, probably uh, when it was even more intense right at the moment of trauma itself. Fear stops us from achieving our true greatness. Are you a professional woman who is feeling stuck, unmotivated, or burned out? Are you worried about your wellness? Are you letting fear stop you from crushing your goals? If you answered yes to any or all of these, then this is the podcast for you. Dr. Charmaine Gregory, night shift emergency physician, burnout thriver, and wellness champion, along with everyday heroes just like you, will explore how to face fear in our lives and emerge victoriously. Dr. Gregory here. Did you know that I'm on YouTube as well? You can find me at Charmaine Gregory, MD. See you there. There. Hello, 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 Fearless Freedom Tribe. This is Dr. G, and we are back with another exciting episode of the Fearless Freedom with Dr. G podcast. Today, we have Dr. Ravi Ayer, and he's going to tell us all about himself and all of the things that he is up to. Take it away. Thank you, Sharon. This is, uh, uh, my name is Dr. Ravi Ayer. I'm an internist and I practice in Virginia. Um, among other things in my past, I've been a chairman of the uh, Department of Medicine. I, I run a clinic in Northern Virginia, which during the pandemic was uh, one of the busiest community centers for treatment and testing of COVID, including um, and one of the innovations we did was we actually extended our surveillance and testing and treatment into mobile uh, services that extended into house calls of patients with COVID, uh, people who could not come out of their house, not sick enough to go to the hospital, but not well enough to come to the office. We went out to them. And... Uh, the lessons we learned uh, informed a lot of my decisions on what emerged post-pandemic. And uh, one of the things that uh, became very apparent to me uh, and my team was that an entire dialogue on how we treat each other needs to be there. An entire dialogue on how we relate to threats need to be there and a lot of conversation needs to be happening on fundamental issues of science and technology that uh, was fraught with a lot of disinformation and misinformation. So uh, 
to begin that process, it became very apparent to me that I wanted to uh, spend the rest of my career. I'm fairly matured in my life. So I felt that I needed to take my platform uh, more public than where I was on one-on-one. -on -one. I was very successful. Uh, I still am. We see between 20 to 40 patients a day. We're busy. And, That's uh, busy. <laughs> Uh, a light day a light day today was a light day and that was ended at 25 uh, it was a light day and uh, so 40 is uh, a busy day uh, during the pandemic we were seeing a 100 per day uh, so, wow and uh, when I say we it is just me uh, I'm I have a team of five people but I'm the only provider so, I see. So there is one doctor. That is a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. There is one doctor managing hundred. As an ER physician, you can understand what that means. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so one of the things we uh, I decided at the end of twenty twenty two is to distill all our experiences into a book that I wrote uh, called "The Reaper Stance: One Thousand Days of COVID." It's doing well on. Amazon, it's uh, look it up. Congratulations. What's it called again? Yeah. Sit again. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, Do you have a copy of it right there? The Reaper's Dad. Dance. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I thought you said Reaper's, but that's that's yeah. impactful. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, good. The, yeah, it's yes, a, you it's can a, see a, it. Um, and it's uh, it's uh, been very well received, uh, cited extensively, and it's a non fiction book. And uh, has over 120 citable references in it. And so there's no uncorroborated information. Whatever is stated is, is corroborated. And it's uh, well received and uh, has been cross cited by several organizations that are involved in investigative work on um, Having said that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that there is right now in the U.S. Um, a growing appreciation that we are woefully unprepared as far as biological threats are concerned. Um, whether it is uh, natural uh, or accidental or deliberate, uh, in all three categories, we are woefully unprepared. We have um, a scientific community that has so far uh, ha enjoyed the relative freedom of, uh, of uh, operating without very rigorous oversight uh, on a more of uh, being allowed to self-police themselves into how they conduct science um, under a patchwork of regulations that are primarily governed by the institutions where they work. So every university lab oversees the conduct of its own scientists. And uh, such uh, arrangements are fraught with conflicts of interest, especially sure. when, when the university uh, has a vested interest in, in a lot of the grant money that comes through and uh, 
integrity of uh, research, the conduct of research, whether the research is being done in a safe manner, when especially when people are dealing with uh, uh, organisms that can uh, escape um, when they're manipulating organisms to produce organisms that can be more virulent than their parent organism. Uh, all of these, I do, I do not believe that these experiments should not be done. It is, uh, I think, um, so if somebody asks me, should gain-of-function research not be done, the answer is no, it should be The question is how you do it. It is like saying you want to play with fire. Yeah, yes, you need to play with fire. You need to learn how to manage fire. But you cannot play with fire irresponsibly. You cannot play with fire without safeguards. And uh, it is now emerging in terms of COVID pandemic that that was what exactly happened. That the fires, uh, th that nature's fires were dabbled in without, uh, A, without true comprehension of the magnitude of what was being entered into, and B, uh, with a rather naive idea that uh, people would be able to control it when not being overcautious in the management of it. Um, so, and uh, so there were, so there is now major uh, shift in the legislative thinking, and mm -hmm. there are multiple organizations. Uh, talking about it, including trying to raise public awareness, of which I am now involved. So I'm very much involved in trying to raise public awareness. So part of me coming and talking to you today is partly to amplify that message and to bring the dialogue to a more conscious level that each one of us, see, we have just spent three years, all of us have spent three years uh, at great cost, at great personal cost, everyone has had family members who have, uh, at the very minimum, fallen sick, some of them very dangerously ill, and some of them fatally ill. Yeah. Uh, we have all suffered the loss of personal freedoms. We have suffered the loss of income. We have suffered the loss of, uh, uh, of psychological development, educational development. Uh, career progress, all of that has happened. So it, it, I don't need to come up there and tell people that hey, everyone has has paid a price. But right. we can't just we can't just say oh we have paid a price and now it's behind us. No, we have a responsibility as citizens to step up and say hey guys, uh, all of you who are continuing to play with science in this manner, how are you doing it? Uh, is there a transparent dialogue? How can the general public be involved in that dialogue? Uh, can we uh, tell our elected representatives that, hey, we need a little bit more uh, carefulness in the way the people are allowed and so on and so forth. Oh yeah, no, this is great. And then, so how are you, um, so, so through the book is one avenue. Are you doing other things that are raising awareness? Are you speaking? Are you like, how are you going about this mass distribution of the information? So the book is one, mm -hmm. like you said, 
I this podcast is one of the example. For example, since Ju- since July, uh, this is today. This is the twenty fifth podcast that I have been on. Oh, fantastic! So yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, so I've been I've been very very active. Roughly about uh, two to three podcasts a week oh, uh, in the that's evenings. That's plenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So trying to get the message out. Uh, I speak at local uh, gatherings. Okay. Um, I speak about the book. The, bu- the book is unique in one respect because there are several books on COVID already out there, but most of the other books talk about the science. They talk about virus. They talk about epidemiology. They talk about, about uh, lab leak. Or they talk about politics. They talk all of that. My book is focused on the human cost. So... There is a major section on gain-of-function research and the the idea that this might have uh, accidentally been released, but that is not the thrust of the book. There are of the thirteen chapters, the chapters that are actually focusing on the virus uh, and gain-of-function are only two. The remaining eleven chapters are all about the humans, the individual, the mom who died leaving behind orphans, the orphans who lost their parents and were swept up in human trafficking, the the wife who was locked in lockdown with her abusive husband and Mm -hmm. pushed down the stairs and had a broken ankle. Uh, You know, the real human stories, stories, the real cost cost of the pandemic, uh, which is easy to forget. Yes. And uh, and you, as an ER physician, would have seen these stories. So yes. you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I saw it at a primary care perspective. You, you saw it uh, probably uh, when it was even more intense right at the moment of trauma itself. So, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, and that is the issue that uh, I frequently say that the only reason that disease is important is because it ha- there's a human being affected by disease. Correct. Yeah. If there were if there were no humans, what does it matter if there was a pandemic? Big deal. <laughs> so you know the only reason for science is that it it exists for the value of human of the human race. It is not there for the personal ego aggrandization or the personal intellectual satisfaction of a bunch of scientists. (laughs) You know, we are not here to to, uh, just marvel at how clever somebody can be. It it is how can you use your cleverness for the benefit of the human race? And how can you do that safely? That is the real question. And uh, so uh, there's plenty of examples of how clever human beings are, but there are not too many examples of how safe they are when they are being clever. So (laughs) the time time has come to demonstrate, uh, okay, now you have shown us how brilliant you can be. Now let's see how safe you can be while you're being brilliant. And that's the whole idea. So, uh, So in addition to the podcast, I speak, at public gatherings. I'm a member of the American uh, Association of Biosecurity and Biosafety, uh, a large organization. Uh, And 
I volunteer uh, in some of their committees. Uh, so that so that is the story. I mean, how else do you get it? You get it by going and you know pounding the pavement and talking, and yes. you talk. Uh, you talk uh, as eloquently as you can. You talk as passionately as you can. You try to connect with the with the feelings and emotions of people, so such that they begin to understand. Uh, hu the human race lives in the narratives, uh, and right now there is a need for the narrative of the pandemic. Otherwise, it'll get forgotten. Yeah. Um, and the lessons will get forgotten. And the people who can bring the narrative forward are the storytellers of society, the authors, the podcast hosts and podcast guests, the, the uh, lecturers, the people who can go on and make a movie out of it or, or create a, you know, some kind of a story out of it. So that's the, the storytellers are the people who can immortalize lessons for humanity to learn from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have had stories from the beginning. So we love those. So you're right. That is a great way yeah. to keep the memory alive and to keep acknowledgement because I mean, if it's out of out of sight, it's it's definitely out of mind. It just particularly in this this day and age when things are so uh, there's no delayed gratification anymore. There's no like, uh, let's think back to our yes. past and learn from those lessons. Like there, there isn't really much of that. So constantly having the narrative in the forefront is going to keep, keep that alive. So we, we don't make those mistakes again. Uh, and hopefully we improve so that if we are faced with something as crazy as what we went through just now, um, we are prepared. So yeah, no, thank you for contributing to sharing the story and sharing about, you know, keeping, uh, keeping us kind of foot to the fire instead of, uh, you know, just becoming complacent about it. Yeah. It's difficult. It's difficult because, uh, the human nature doesn't like to dwell on painful experiences. Right. We want to, we want to move on to happy times. It's the nature yes. of human beings to want to be happy. Um, and uh, the one of the one of the things that uh, when you're dealing with difficult stories, it is important to tell the story without terrifying people. It is you, it is important to tell the story with compassion and hope. It is important to tell the story with both with a, with the right mix of urgency with hope. Um, so. Um, yeah, it, it requires a little bit of skill, but uh, it also requires a lot of heart and compassion. But it's a doable thing, and it is a yes. necessary thing. It is absolutely. necessary. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, it's Dr. G, and I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to this episode. I'm so honored to have you here with me. Did you know that I can help you to get your own podcast started? With my podcasting launch course for professionals, I walk you through everything you need to know about starting a podcast. I'm with you every step of the way from sign up to launching your show with five episodes ready to go. There's a done for you version that's also available if you would just rather 
just do recordings and leave the behind the scenes work up to us, then that one is definitely for you. But either way, we've got your back here at Fearless Freedom with Dr. G. Oh, if you already have a show and you need production services, we have monthly plans available for you. So check out the links in the episode show notes for more information. Let's get back to the show. That is, that's, that's fantastic. And so, you know, I'm always curious. I mean, I know, I know what, what we went through from like the emergency department side um, and personally as a physician uh, going through that whole experience. But um, I'm always curious about uh, how, like, were there any fears that you had to face during that time? And how did you, how did you do it? Like, how did you do it? Because you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's a funny thing. Cause you know, we, we may have a lot of them, but then it, the question is like, how did we, how did we get past them? How did we deal with them? How did we overcome them? How do we face them? So I'm always curious to hear, uh, that perspective. So the pandemic, I knew on, uh, April, March 8th, see the pandemic was officially declared a pandemic in the U S on March 10th of 2020. But I knew on March 8th that we were in a pandemic. And I sat my staff down and I said that, hey, guys, uh, this is different than what we have ever had. And uh, this is a virus that is airborne. And we have no treatment for it. People do not understand its biology just yet. The information on this virus is still emerging. So we don't know. It's an unknown virus. And we uh, we don't have any immunity. So, but I told the staff that, but it is my wish that I plan to keep my clinic open. I'm not going to close this. And... Uh, uh, I want to explain to you why I think we should do that. So I said that one of the things is by closing the clinic, none of you are going to be any safer because you'll go home and you are still going to live in society. And remember, you'll be going to the grocery store. You'll be going to the mall. You'll be somewhere and you're going to get exposed to it by closing the clinic. The only thing you'll be doing is you'll be losing income. And you'll be making yourself weaker in resources to fight the pandemic. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, if we keep the clinic open, I can show you how to keep yourself safe. I will buy equipment. I will get equipment for you. I will equip you guys with the tools that you need to be safe in and out of the clinic. And before anyone knew it, we, I, because I have a past experience where I have worked with dangerous organisms. I'm a researcher. I have an MD and a PhD, and a doctoral degree in biochemistry, molecular biology, and vaccine technology, and so on and so forth. So because of that, I, 
I knew how what was needed. So I, I before all the stocks ran out, I placed orders and I got my supplies. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I I went on to Alibaba and placed an order for a paper unit two, for uh, for two paper units at. $150 a unit as compared to $1,500 for yes, units. Yes, that's here. incredible. <laughs> that's incredible. Just $900 got me two paper units. Oh, that's and, fantastic. And then because I knew biochemistry, we we made pre-filters and we I, I found a methodology of... Uh, of soaking them in copper sulfate solution with zinc sulfate and uh, and evaporating that such that we had a microfilm a nano of nano nanoparticles of copper and zinc on a pre-filter that we put onto the intake intake valves of the paper unit. So the air that the paper unit was taking in before it went into the HEPA filter, it was going it's through, already getting infiltrated somehow. It, it was going through a <laughs> copper and zinc ion impregnated fabric before it'll go through. Um, and in that fabric, we also put turmeric powder. So it was really viricidal before it was coming in. So the air that was coming to our uh, masks were, were pre-filtered and all that. So we, we really did something. Uh, Lysol and stuff was not available, but guess what? Swimming pool, deterg uh, swimming pool disinfectant was available in the concentrate by the gallon. Nobody knew, nobody, nobody knew to go for that. Yeah, yeah. But I knew, I knew it's the same thing. If if you can disinfect a swimming pool and swim in it, it that's is safe right. to spray yeah. on yourself. That's, it is that's, safe to spray yeah. on yourself. Yeah. So yeah. we took that swimming pool disinfectant and just diluted it and spray bottles. And we had, we had, um, we didn't have um, overalls, PPEs. Yeah, the Tyvex. Yeah, the Tyvex that is so expensive. What yeah. what we did was we bought we bought snow gear, snow sheet, snow wind cheaters and yeah. snow pants. That's good enough. That is good it, enough. It's it is impervious. It is impervious, uh, and we wore that on top of our clothes. And at the and uh, when we would we had a buddy system, one person is testing the patient and going in close. Uh, the other person is staying there. As soon as the swab is taken off and put into the wild, we we spray each other with the, with our uh, swimming pool disinfectant right on the clothes, and we go back. Then the other thing was on the on the cars. Yeah, we we, we got uh, we got a piece of plastic, simple plastic, and we put uh, magnetic tape on top of that. And we slapped it onto the window. So now there's a curtain of plastic, and we only put our hands in through the curtain. So the patient is inside, and this curtain of plastic is there, and we are outside with our mask. But we have this curtain of plastic between us and the car and the and, and the occupant. So now essentially we converted the car into a mobile hood, into right. a mobile bi yeah. biosafety cabinet by just putting a piece of. So we did all of this. Wow, that's so impressive. <laughs> and we did this so cheaply. We did this so cheaply. We just did this right there. And it was working. It was working. <laughs> wow. That is that's amazing. That's amazing. We bought we bought UVC bulbs. Okay. And we yeah. we have we hung them in a closet. 
every one of our uh, staff, when they came in, they would come in, go into that closet, take out their clothes, completely down to their underwear. They would just under, down to the underwear, hang up the clothes, take off their shoes and their socks and change into a complete set of work clothes and work socks and work shoes. The shoes were garden rubber okay. shoes. Oh, rubber, garden, mm -hmm. rubber garden shoes, because those garden shoes, we could step into a rubber made uh, trays with uh, disinfectant and disinfect our feet as we walked around. So, and we would turn on the UV light for exactly 15 minutes that would irradiate their yeah, home clothes yeah. while, while they're working. Now, when they come back at the end of the day, they take off their work clothes, hang it up, turn on the light and go home. 15 minutes of radiation of their clothes, of their yeah. work clothes. And this went on every day. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. We never closed. That is we never so closed. Awesome. So awesome. And, 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 and how, how beautiful staff. that is for your community. You know, I mean, as you're telling me this, I'm thinking to myself, wow, what an impact on the community they had. Awesome. It was phenomenal. See, the one biggest impact was that the patients, when they came and they saw us dealing with COVID fearlessly, without, uh, with compassion and without fear and, and continuing to remain safe, it was so inspiring for them, even though when they did not have, there was no medicine, Paxlovid right. did not come out until February of 2021. That's right, that's right. Uh, uh, no vaccine until December 13th of 2020. All right. Yes, I got my vaccine only December twenty fourth. So, so there was no treatment. March to December, there was no treatment and no immunity at all. So, for the public to see us dealing with hundred patients a day on a daily basis outside in the parking lot, outside of the clinic, inside the clinic, all around, going to homes. We, uh, you know, um, uh, in our house calls, we had these pop-up tents that we use in camp showers for privacy for for uh, as a shower in okay. the, in the uh, while camping. We used that as our changing room. So we took that in our car and went to the house of the patient who's sick. On their driveway, we would pop up the tent, step in, change into our gear. And then walk into the patient's home, take care of the patient, then come out, go into the tent, undress back into our office clothes, and then pack up everything and then take it home, back to the clinic. So we nice. translated our infection control and personal safety protocols to go wherever we went, even into environments where there was no uh, that we did not have total control over the environment. Right, we could, right. We could, we, it doesn't matter whether we owned that space or not. We owned the space around us. So we controlled that space. And because of that, we could create this bubble of safety and go wherever we wanted. That's fantastic. <laughs> that, is, that is fantastic. And, and I mean, the other thing, I mean, you... Just by doing that, the impact, and then the impact also on your staff, because now, I mean, your staff, I mean, they're like that, the training that they got from just that experience alone, I mean, that's like invaluable. They're not going to, they wouldn't have gotten that anywhere else. I don't think. No, 
No. Because the but, usual, but, like when they do, even when they do, um, and this is not a criticism by any means, but like when the infectious disease, uh, you know, when they go over barrier protection, things like that, and they go over like safety protocols when dealing with, you know, airborne illnesses, it's 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 very um, it's it's very limited to usually what can you do in the hospital, right? And with the 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 materials provided in the hospital. And so for, for you all to have done this kind of like, um, uh, MacGyvering it. I don't know if you ever seen that show back in the eighties, yeah. but it's yeah. kind of like you MacGyvered it, can, right? Like you, you used what you used. Can I show you something? Yeah, sure. All right. Um, actually, you know what? Let me, let me send you the link on the chat. Okay. We made a video. So what, what we did was at the height of COVID, um, there was so much depression. The people were so, oh, yeah. They, they had, you know, yeah, people were, you know, so depressed about their outcome, about how poorly they did um, and, uh, you know, how they were uh, locked up and no hope at all. So we decided to make a video to cheer people up. Oh, really? So my staff one day they said, "Let's let's 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 take a quick, uh, uh, you know, using our phones, let's record what we did, and we'll put it put it together in a quick little iMovie, and uh, po post it up." They, they they we posted this video. We called it Ghostbusters. We we put the track of Ghostbusters to it. Oh, nice. Um, I called it the COVID busters, and <laughs> nice. I'm trying to I'm trying to find the video. Just a second. Um, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. No, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Love it. That's it. Let me send the link. Yeah, if you send a link, I will um, I'll put up here and share it. So that means if you're listening, you have to go to the YouTube channel because that's the only way you're going to see it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, there we go. It's on Vimeo. Yeah, yes. there's a link. Okay, got it. I just play it. Let me, let me just get it loaded so that um, I can play it. And share, share. And can you see? Yes, I see. I see where it says that you're sharing. And yes, now I see it. Can you, can you hear some? And I can hear it. Fantastic.
That's awesome. It's <laughs> awesome. Ah, uh, thanks for sharing that. That's phenomenal. Oh, I think people are gonna really appreciate that. Yeah. It's <laughs> great. That's great. Oh my gosh. This has been quite a lovely conversation. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I think that's the first time I've had a video of me to share it on my podcast. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, this is like um, and then can you can you show the book one more time? Because I want people to go in and look this book up now that we've talked about it and everything. Awesome. The Reaper's Dance, 1000 Days of COVID. Okay, so um it's available on all of the platforms. So definitely go check it out. Awesome, 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 awesome. Yeah, this has been an amazing conversation and I really appreciate you taking time out and spending and sharing with us. And I really, really, really appreciate your creativity and ingenuity and how you were able to impact your community in such a meaningful and, and large way, you know, for, for months, for uh, maybe even years, because it, I mean, the thing went on for quite a while. You know, yeah. so um, that was quite a long time that you were doing this. And so, you know, if nobody said thank you, I'm, I want to say thank you to you because oh, no. thank um, you to you. it's definitely it's uh, it's it's no it's no small potatoes at all. So no, thank you. Thank you to you. My my message to you, your audiences, uh, wherever they are. Is. You are the, you are the architect of your life. You are the person will keep yourself safe, your family safe. You cannot rely on an outside agency to keep you safe. One of the first things you need to do is learn and educate yourself and advocate for yourself and advocate for your family members and for your fellow people. We are only as strong as our weakest link. We are, we are all our brother's keepers. Literally, uh, you can't be safe if other people are unsafe. Mm -hmm. So you have to remember that. You can't go around saying that, oh, it's all about me and you know my freedoms, my privileges, and uh, to you know, devil take the hindmost. That simply cannot uh, bring safety to anyone. That's in, that's important. And then lastly, please, please shoot an email to your representative in Congress. Tell them that biosafety and biosecurity matters. It is important. Tell them that they have to institute the proper safeguards so that our scientists, as they continue to probe the farthest frontiers of nature, 
the frontiers of nature have to be breached. They have to go. I mean, I'm, I'm, I will be the first one to say that science must continue. But not the way it has been done so far. And definitely not using a unilateral uh, stakeholder determining safety. Because, the, you know, COVID is not, like COVID produced 25 million dead. You know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki killed 250,000. And that, just 250,000 dead produced the International Atomic Energy Commission and all the safeguards and all the you know, oversight and controls over nuclear work globally with real enforcement capability, uh, where nations can just go in and say, hey, I'm going to shut you down if you don't allow us to inspect your facility. Whereas in, uh, in COVID, we had 25 million dead and we still don't have the guidelines. We don't have a centralized mechanism of oversight. Um, there is a huge surge in bios, uh, biological, uh, in high-risk biological labs all over the world right now. COVID produced that. Mm -hmm. um, there's a huge rise in biosafety level labs all over the all over the world, and no one is overseeing this labs in an integrated manner. So Congress has begun the process, but we need to engage with them. We need to shoot an email to them, say that, hey, listen to us. Don't forget where we are from. Awesome. That's a great call to action. Absolutely. Yeah, no. Um, but and 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 I think a lot of times we don't necessarily feel like, oh, if we send something, it'll make a difference, but it really does. It really it does, does make a difference when you it when does. you send a, a, a correspondence to um, your representative, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Awesome, 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 awesome. So we are at that part of our show where we do a tradition. Are you ready? Are you ready for the tradition? All right, yeah. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> it's the fill in the blanks. All right. Okay. So the first one is, if I am fearless, I will. I will stand firm in the front of adversity. Awesome. 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 The next one is, to me, fearless freedom means. Be an advocate for yourself and compassionate warrior for everyone else around you. Love it. Love it, love it. And the last one is my battle cry is. Educate and protect. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for all that you do, for taking time out and talking with us, for sharing, for sharing that awesome video, all the things. And I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you continue to make an impact. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this evening with you very, very much.